Well, you sprang forward, didn't you? Yes. You are the wise ones. You actually made it today in spite of losing an hour of sleep last night. Good for you. We're so glad that you're here at all of our locations to be together in worship. Louise Tarkenton wrote a poem many years ago that I'm kind of fond of, and and I really like these words in the poem. I wish there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, where all our mistakes and all of our heartaches and all of our poor, selfish sins could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. Are there things in your life that you'd like to kind of drop like a shabby old coat at the door and be done with once and for all? Maybe it's a season of life where you drifted from God and just really lived contrary to your values. Maybe it's a dream that you threw away. A time in your life that you would do anything to just Relive if you could have a, you know, a do-over. Maybe your mind goes to some careless words that you spoke or a, a hurtful encounter you had with someone. There's no doubt about it. It's just the nature of life. We have moments from the past that we would just love to erase. I think all of us would love a land of beginning again, but it just, come on, it just seems too good to be true. But as we kick off this brand new series today called Surprising Insights, and each one of them is going to be surprising, and what I mean by that is they kind of go counter to the culture. They kind of go different than the average person tends to think these days. As we look at these lessons, I think you're going to be amazed at what Jesus actually taught, from what we can actually learn from these episodes in his life. And here's what we're going to see today, that Jesus offered to a man named Nicodemus essentially a land of beginning again. He called it being born again or being born from above. And it is a spiritual experience that can absolutely revolutionize your life. So today, I invite you to open your Bible. We're gonna explore this encounter in these minutes we have. It's found in John's Gospel, chapter 3, Who was this guy? What did Jesus offer to him in this offer of new birth? And how did Nicodemus respond to it? So first, let's ask that question, who was Nicodemus after all? Well, let me just mention some things about this guy. First of all, I would say he was successful. He was, in fact, quite a success. We see here in verse 1, that there was a man of the Pharisees. Now, in our culture, the word Pharisee has very negative connotations. I think you'd agree. If somebody says, all right, now don't be a Pharisee about it, well, that's a very negative thing. We think of someone who is narrow-minded, 
who is self-righteous, intolerant, bigoted, all the things that we tend to dislike in our culture. But it may surprise you to know that the Pharisees in their day were among the most respected people of all. They were not despised, they were looked up to. The word literally means separated one. And so the Pharisees sought to truly please God as they understood that. And they did that by living separated lives from their society and the various evils in their society. They were sincere, they were passionate, and they were trying to please God. But it's interesting that most Pharisees were actually well-connected and often pretty wealthy. In fact, we're going to find out later uh, in chapter 19 that when Jesus died, Nicodemus brought a mixture of expensive myrrh and aloes, 75 pounds of it. Only a person who was pretty wealthy could afford to pay for that. So here's the point. By the standards of his time and culture, Nicodemus would have been considered a definite success. But I want you to consider also, he was not only successful, he was quite spiritual. Verse one again of chapter three, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, what is that about, this council? It was called the Sanhedrin. It was a group of 71 of the most brilliant legal minds in Israel. Clovis Chapel, uh, an old-time preacher and commentator on this, says that at the same time, we're talking about a man here who would have been, been like a cross be, between a college professor a member of the Supreme Court of the United States and a church bishop all rolled together in one. So in addition to being financially successful and vocationally respected, Nicodemus would have been considered a deeply and genuinely spiritual man as well. Now, let's just pause and call a timeout right here. I wonder if any of you can identify with Nicodemus. I believe there's people listening to me right now online and at each of our locations who can. It doesn't matter your gender. I think you have some things in common with old Nick here. Some of you are women and people look at you and how you're put together and they go, wow, she's sharp. Wow, she's got her act together. Or they look at you, sir, and they say, wow, you're living at the top of the heap, man. I wish I had a life like that. And if that's you, if I'm describing people today who would be looked up to, I, I hope you're thankful to God for the blessings he's brought into your life. I hope you truly are. But see, here's the danger anytime someone has a lot going for them like Nicodemus did. It can tend to make a person really, really proud. And Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And if we're not careful, 
We can take all of these amazing blessings in our life for granted, and we can begin to feel proud and self-sufficient. And particularly on the religious side of things, if we're not careful and if we've not been trained according to what Scripture says, we can start thinking, wow, God must think pretty highly of me because I'm really earning a lot of favor with God here through all of my goodness and success. So it's interesting, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to death. Are you listening to me today? The way that seems right in our culture is I gotta be good enough. I've gotta earn favor with God. And the surprising insight that we get today is that that has nothing to do with favor with God when it comes to salvation. And that, my friends, is a shocker. It was a shocker then, I would suggest that it's just as much of a shock today. Jesus said, unless you humble yourself and become like a little child, you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. And so here we've got a person who's got all these things going well in his life. But something was missing. And that's why I would suggest to you that although he's successful and spiritual, Nicodemus was clearly also seeking here. I like that old classic U2 song. You've heard it a million times, I'm sure. And the refrain is, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That was Nicodemus to a T. Nicodemus, in many ways, reminds me of a man I got to know in Columbia, South Carolina years ago when I was living there for a season, uh, working with the Billy Graham team and doing some ministry in that region. Harry Dent's office was just down the hall from mine. He was much older than I was at the time, and we chatted frequently, had a number of meals together. I was in his home and got to know members of his family pretty well. His son-in-law, in fact, was one of the key leaders on our, on our uh, team of volunteers to help process the decision cards after our, our meetings. Harry Dent was a successful attorney. Attorney had a tremendous educational background. He was a leader that was respected in the community, but he was also a genuinely loving father and husband, had a healthy marriage, his kids looked up to him. His bank accounts were thriving and bulging, growing at record rates. But he also was a political insider. He was the brilliant architect behind President Richard Nixon's campaign strategy for the southern part of the United States. But in spite of all that stuff, Harry Dent would tell you, while I was riding at the top of my game, I was empty inside. All the success and acclaim had left this hollow, restless place inside of him that nothing in this world could fill. And then his life imploded as he was implicated and found guilty of involvement in the Watergate scandal, and his world came tumbling down. 
And much like his friend Chuck Colson, Harry Dent came to a genuine and personal faith in Jesus Christ. He later wrote about it in a number of books, one book in particular called Cover Up, which tells his story. And everybody thought at first, ah, this is just one of those crisis conversions. Yeah, he's just playing the God card here just because he got caught and he knows he's in trouble. But time proved that the conversion was real. And Jesus Christ changed Harry Dent's life forever. It's just the reality of life, folks, We can seem so put together on the outside, but deeply troubled deep down inside, yearning for a new life. I don't know what brought you here today. I don't know what made you click to this online space. But I wonder, is that you? Deep inside, you know something is missing. And God has been stirring you. That's what's happening. And you've been perhaps watching a Christian friend you know. And you know it's real. And you see the joy and the peace that your friend demonstrates even when life is not going well for her. And you want what your friend has. And you've reached the point where you've got to go beyond success to significance. Jesus said, what does it profit a person if he or she gains the whole world and loses their soul? And I want to tell you, that question haunted me even as a young teenager before I yielded my life to Christ. It wrecked me, that question did. I thought, I want so much more in life, but Jesus here is putting me on the spot. He's saying, what if you get everything you dream of having? It's worthless if you lose your soul. And I couldn't get around that. And Nicodemus was seeking more in his life, and I think that's what caused him to go to Jesus to seek some answers. But to be honest, it took a lot of humility for him to do that. He was older. Jesus was actually quite young in his early 30s. Nicodemus was financially prosperous. Jesus was rather poor. Nicodemus was a member of the political, cultural elite. Jesus held no official office whatsoever. But he'd been watching him closely, and he couldn't dismiss the miracles he had seen. And I think he came to Jesus at night to avoid the ridicule of his peers. Most of them had already dismissed Jesus as a false prophet. And I think Nicodemus was rethinking that. I think at first he doubted, but then he began to doubt his doubts. But all of that is just conjecture on my part. To be honest with you, for all I know, maybe he came to Jesus at night because it's the only time that fit his schedule, okay? But one thing I'm confident of is that Nicodemus was on a search for something more in his life. And verse two of this chapter says, he came to Jesus at night and said, 
Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. Now, I believe that in making that statement, and by the way, in John's gospel, at least, the way it's arranged, the only miracle that's been recorded so far is the turning of water into wine at the wedding in Cana in Galilee. So there could be a ton of other miracles that had already been performed that are just not recorded yet. Or it could be that John's gospel, and this is, this is for the intellectual eggheads right now, so everybody who's not interested, just put your mind on hold for a moment, okay? This is for Bible geeks, what I'm about to say right now, all right? Are we fair? Are you with me on this? This is Bible geek stuff right now. A lot of scholars believe that John's gospel in particular is not necessarily arranged chronologically as as events happen. It's just a theory, but just go with me here. Some believe that, for for instance, uh, that the temple cleansing and all, some believe there were two, some believe that John just rearranged things, but he's got the temple cleansing early, right? And the other gospels have it kind of happening later in Jesus' public ministry. Uh, So if that's true, it could be that Nicodemus came to Jesus much later in his ministry where he would have had two years or more to actually observe all of these amazing miracles that were going on. And then he would have tons of evidence to go, yeah, nobody could do what you're doing unless God were with him. But here's the deal. We're still with Bible geek stuff right now. We're gonna get back to real life in just a moment, okay? So go with me here. The rabbinical tradition taught that when Messiah actually came, the great anointed one they were all waiting for, he would do three miracles that nobody else could do. One is he would heal a leper, okay? And so Jesus did that. And by the way, when the leper was healed, he told him to go straight to the priest, the one who knew the rabbinical tradition. So one down, two miracles to go. A second miracle that the tradition said that the Messiah would do when he came is he would heal a man, a person who had been born blind. And guess what? That's exactly what Jesus did. Two out of three performed. And the third one, the rabbinical tradition said, when Messiah comes, he will be able to cast out demons even when they are mute, even when they don't talk. The Jewish exorcists could exorcise demons if they could get the demons to talk, to interact with them. But Jesus where it was able to cast out demons whether they talked or not. So a perfect Three out of three. And I think this got Nick's attention. He didn't just blindly follow his peers. He was an independent thinker. And he looked at this undeniable evidence. He knew the Messiah would be able to perform these incredible miracles. And Jesus had done just that. And it caused him to go to Jesus and go, look, I'm convinced you've got to be from God. Nobody could do the kind of stuff you're doing unless God were with him. Now, can I tell you something that a lot of people don't know or, or just haven't embraced? You can't really come to God. This is what 
Jesus makes clear in this very gospel, you can't really come to God unless the Holy Spirit is stirring you and drawing you. That's what Jesus said. So I'm just going to take him at his word on that. You can't really come to God unless God is working and stirring in your heart. And that's what was going on here. And God was getting Nick Nicodemus ready for an amazing offer. So what did Jesus actually offer to him? Well, in verse 3, we read here that it says, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, before we go on, let's jump ahead here and examine this concept of being born again, because it is so crucial to understand. Down in verse 14, he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And then that classic verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, what's behind that? If you go to your Old Testament, Numbers chapter 21, there was a time when the Israelite people were being bitten by poisonous snakes, and they were dying by the hundreds. There was nothing whatsoever they could do to cure themselves, heal themselves, save their own lives. So God instructed Moses to make a bronze serpent, a snake, and lift it up on a pole. And when the people looked to that, they could be healed and and saved from this malady. Moses did that, and everyone who looked on that was healed. God provided a way for them to be saved. That's a type of what happens to us. Just like those Israelites, folks, we're in trouble. We're not only dying and have a destiny with death, the scripture says spiritually, we're already dead. Dead in transgressions and sins. And just like them, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But just as God provided a way of healing and salvation for the Israelites, he did the same for us. But instead of a snake being lifted up on a pole, God's son was lifted on a a cross. So if God is stirring you today, whoever you are, up and outer, down and outer, young, old, successful or not, if you will look to Jesus, if you will believe and put your trust in the one who hung on that cross and took the punishment that my sins and yours deserve, if you will admit that you need his help, he will save you. That's good news. He will save you and give you a land of beginning again where you can drop it all and know that you are under no more condemnation for whatever you've done in your past. But I'm concerned that some of you are still going to be duped by that lie that's all about what you do. 
See, here's the deal. Many of you could tell me all the facts about Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and it's all right here, but it's never moved down here. And you need to believe and trust that what Christ did for you on the cross is enough for the forgiveness of your sins. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Jesus wants a relationship with you. If he's stirring you today, he wants a heart-to-heart personal relationship. And I realize that to some of you, this probably sounds absurd. Guess what? It did to Nicodemus too at first. And so what follows here, and we don't have the time today to explore every nuance of it, but what follows in verses 4 through 13 is this weird, confused dialogue where at first he thinks Jesus is talking about some kind of weird physical rebirth, but Jesus makes it clear that what he's talking about is from above. Yes, it's mysterious. Yes, it's mystical. But above all, it is supernatural. He says in verse six, flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And then Nicodemus responds, how can this be? And if we're honest, that's the question that we want to ask as well. We struggle with things that we can't explain, things that are mystical, things that don't fit into perfectly understandable categories. So Jesus goes on here to use analogies that demonstrate that being born again is a mystery, but it's a reality. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh. I mean, who can understand all the wonders and all the marvels of conception and pregnancy and birth? We don't understand it all, but we, we know that it's real. And then Jesus talked about the wind. He said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You see the effects of it. You hear the sound of it. But you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. You can't explain all of that. And what Jesus is basically saying here is, look, until you embrace that this experience I'm offering to you, Nicodemus, it's above your ability to explain or understand. You're just not going to be able to go there. But if you open your life and you say, yes, I'm willing to yield my life and trust my life to you, even the parts I don't understand, and I'm willing to take your lead, then you can have a land of beginning again. Oh, I wish I could convince you today that God loves you so much. If he's stirring in you and drawing you, listen, that's a sign he wants you in his family. That's why he came and paid the ultimate price, and he patiently waits for you to respond as his spirit draws you. And then the miracle of new birth can occur. Verse 17 of today's text is, Incredible, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Have you believed in that name? Have you trusted in Christ alone to save you and give you a land of beginning again, sins forgiven, past wiped away in terms of any guilt, in terms of any shame, in terms of any responsibility for that, in terms of your relationship with God? Back in 1830, a man named George Wilson was caught robbing the mail. And in his attempt to get away, he shot and killed a government employee. And he was arrested, he was tried, he was convicted and sentenced to be hanged. And nobody to this day, there are all kinds of theories, nobody knows exactly why President Andrew uh, Jackson gave him a pardon. Still a bit of a mystery. But what's even more of a mystery is why George Wilson, this convicted criminal, refused the pardon. Prison officials didn't know what to do with a man who would refuse a presidential pardon when he was under a death sentence. And so it went to the Supreme Court. And under the direction of Supreme Justice John Marshall, they made this decision that essentially said, look, a pardon is just a slip of paper. The value of it is determined by the acceptance of it from the one who has been pardoned. If it is refused, it is not a pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. And he was. And if God's stirring in you today, it means that this pardon, this offer, it's being extended to you even now, a new life in Jesus Christ. But if you do not accept the pardon, it no longer applies. And I would just urge you, I'm not being a smart aleck. I'm not trying to be cute I'm as sincere as I can be. Please don't dally with God's offer. Open your life to Christ today. And let him give you a new birth from above. So how did Nicodemus respond as we close? We don't know exactly the details, do we? Because there's no episode in Scripture that tells us kind of the follow-up to this conversation. Oh, how I wish there were. But we do have this interesting passage that is found later in the same gospel, chapter 19. And it says here in verse 38, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a, a, a disciple of Jesus but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. And catch this verse now, verse 39. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, of all people. 
the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Think of that. In the beginning, Nicodemus came secretly to Jesus. At the end, he publicly showed his devotion to Christ. And so here's the question. How will you respond? God's invitation to be born again is for anyone that the Spirit is drawing. Is he drawing you? That is an offer you should not refuse. Oh, I tell you, there is a land of beginning again where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all of our poor, selfish sins can be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. Could we bow together for a moment of prayer? And I want to ask you, uh, whether you're at Saratoga today, at Half Moon, at Latham, Maybe you're listening online right now and God's spirit is stirring and speaking to you. This is your moment. This is your moment with almighty God. Let me just ask for a show of hands. Wherever you are, would you just indicate if God's been stirring in your life today and you just wanna nail down this new birth thing once and for all, you wanna be sure that you've opened your life to Christ, just like Nicodemus did. Would you just raise your hand, please, and just thank you so much for your honesty and just candor. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. And we're gonna pray right now, and I'm gonna invite you, all of those who just raise your hands, and we're just honest about, hey, I, I want this new birth. I want to nail this down. I'm gonna ask you to pray this prayer right where you are with me. But before we pray, is there anybody else who just wants to say, look, that's me, that's me. Thank you right there, thanks. Anybody else? All right, yes, see that? Okay, would you pray this prayer just phrase by phrase, silently right where you are, just pray it to God. To no one else, just to God. Oh Lord, thank you for stirring my heart and showing me my need for you. I repent of my sin. I yield my life to you. Jesus, I trust in you. to forgive all of my sins and to give me a brand new birth, a birth from above. Come into my life and make me new. Father, I pray for all of those who, this has been a miraculous, mystical, moment, a supernatural moment that only you can bring. Father, may this moment be marked forever in the annals of eternity. Chronicle it, put it down in your book as a moment when that man, that woman, that young person opened their life to Christ and was born again. Thank you for your amazing love. 
In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's continue worshiping today. Amen. Amen. God is so good. He loves us so much, and he wants that relationship with us. Our team's going to continue to lead us as we continue in worship today.